You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 83. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Pontus Böckmann and Brian Ego. Sziasztok! Hey, son, hey, son! All right, trips. Hey, hey. Hello. I think Jelena sounds a bit uh, different today. What's what's going on here? Oh yeah, her voice was as deep as this when she was doing the five a.m. show a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so uh, people might not <laughs> notice the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could do that. You said. <laughs> and, and she was so quiet. Oh, it she was, was very quiet. It was because of because her husband was sleeping next door. Yeah. So so. As far as I know, Jelena is out uh, on a motorbike ride in Italy or something. Isn't is that right? The last time I filled in for Jelena, she was out um, teaching squirrels about skepticism. So maybe she's uh, she's doing the same yeah. with the wildlife out there in Italy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, so. the, the Italian squirrels have to yes. be educated too. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Well, the last last photos that he posted, I saw right. on Facebook were from uh, Lake Garda. Yeah. Which is a beautiful place. Very beautiful place. Yep. Yeah, I've been yeah. there too, actually. Long time ago, but it's fantastic. Mm. Great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, talking about women, what do you guys think? Now we have a, we have a doctor who's a female. <laughs> I was wondering where that conversation was going. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not a huge Doctor Who fan, so I've enjoyed the the sort of butt hurt reaction to her announcement more than the announcement itself. It's been oh, very yes. entertaining. Mm-hmm. Me too, me too. I think uh, it's hilarious to the way people react. Oh, but they took it so I'm seriously. I'm sure it's fine. I mean, it'll be fantastic with a female Doctor Who. Why not? Yeah, of course. Should yeah. Yeah. It's silly. I mean, Doctor Who can be anybody. That's that's what we've learned through the years. He's always changing shape, and if he wants to be a woman this time, that's fine. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think we're probably going to have the same discussions go on again when if there's like a new companion as well. So you know, brace, brace yourselves for more Twitter storms coming soon <laughs> to oh, an yeah. internet near you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh guys, let me let me talk about my uh, my latest experience in Canada. Hmm? We do actually have a, a, a well, I wouldn't say a huge, but um, a very strong listener base in Canada. Apparently, mm-hmm. great. Um, and is that listener base um, as a result of you being out there harassing people to listen to the show, <laughs> or was it organic? Yeah. When you got there, you were <laughs> greeted at the airport by uh, rabid uh, ESP fans. No, I'm I'm pretty sure that those guys just pity me so much that they just want to help out somehow. And one of the ways that they could do that was listening to our show and struggling through every single episode, which uh, makes them a hero in my eyes. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Great. Well, hello to our lovely listeners from Canada then. Excellent. Yeah. Hope my Scottish accent isn't too much for them. No, we'll have it <laughs> sub- 
Subtitles. Subtitles work really well on podcasts, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. They do. Perfectly. Perfectly. The reason why I'm mentioning it is because uh, Pontus was, uh, before we started recording, was just making making fun of my uh, my four minutes monologue on (laughs) episode 82. That was a non episode episode. (laughs) Yeah. And so, how does that count then? Yeah. If If it was a non episode, I mean. Was the next episode after that 82? Well, or it was still the 82nd. It was still the 82nd recording to be published. So. Okay. Mm, all right. We I'm just thinking call it episode once 82. you get up to 100, there's going to have to be some major celebrations, but it would seem a little bit hollow if it was really only 99. <laughs> well, you know, Brian, we, we make the rules here, so, so we can call it exactly. whatever number we want to, and we have exactly. our celebrations whenever we want to, so it's fine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and uh, what we could go for is uh, celebrating through two different episodes, 99 and 100. Both will be, sorry, no, 100 and 101. Perfect. Perfect, well, isn't it's, it? It's sort of like when you have your birthday during the week, you know, you can get, you're allowed to get drunk on your actual birthday and then you can get drunk again the weekend closest to your birthday as well. So I guess that's kind of what you're doing here, right? <laughs> you got absolutely. it right. Yeah, absolutely. 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 That yeah. is the case. So getting back to my story, it was uh, Fred Brammer who's uh, been the organiser of uh, Skeptics in the Pub Vancouver. Uh, for for more than 10 years and he listened to the show that I published while I was in Kamloops in Canada which is just a couple of hours drive from Vancouver and then later on that afternoon he sent me a message if I was in Vancouver because if so then I'm more than welcome to join them for uh, Skeptics in the Pub July oh good great and I did um, I, I was a bit of a latecomer because um, by by the time I arrived, there were only a couple of people left. But it was a it, it's a skeptics in a pub social, and it's been going on for more than ten years. So it's um, it's brilliant, and it was not the first time that I mentioned uh, that I met him. I, I think it was two years ago when I intentionally sought out local skeptics in Vancouver, and that's that's how I I ended up meeting them and. Uh, now I was called up and uh, yeah, we had a great time. We had a lovely chat. Turns out that he has his hands on several things that we don't even know of. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to mention t- names and titles of uh, different blogs that we regularly le- read. And he's a contributor to those as a proofreader, reading out all the different uh, small bits and, and pieces that, that that are not necessarily perfect grammatically. So uh, that's an important job. Yeah, sure is. He, he, can, uh, he can do my subtitles in. <laughs> oh, yeah, he could. He could. He could. <laughs> so, Andres, why did you turn up late at their event then? Is that because you're some kind of celebrity over there now? You sort of wandered in wearing your sunglasses indoors. Oh, obviously, like, yes. Obviously. Kind of a big deal sort of thing, yeah? Yeah, the limo yeah, was I, late. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. No, obviously it was because because I had to work during the day. So, <laughs> and by the time I got back to Vancouver from Victoria, it was a bit late. But uh, yeah, I still managed to join them, and I'm very happy about that. 
Okay. Oh, that's great. I, I've had a couple of times when I've been away uh, away with work, particularly down in Leicester, and just by pure chance, the the, the Leicester sceptics were were running events when I was down there, and I took a work colleague along, which which was great one of the times as well. So it's it's a great thing to do um, mm-hmm. if you're sort of somewhere, I guess, unfamiliar. Like have a little look on uh, and see if there's a sceptics group. Have a little look at the events calendar um, yeah. on the ESP website and see if there's anything going. <laughs> Where you are. Do you see how I've segued beautifully very, into that? Very nice, very nice. Super pro. And if you if you, you look around the internet and you find something that is not yet on the calendar of the ESP, then please get in touch and let us know because we won that event on the ESP calendar. Yeah, just like Bruno van der Kastele did and uh, told me about his Salon de Sciences in Belgium coming up in. Uh, the town called Beauvechain. It's on the 26th of August and it's a science salon and you, you come along and you bring your kids and your grandma and you you talk about or you listen to people talking about astronomy, medical mm-hmm. science, biology, physics, archaeology and skepticism. And, and it's open for everybody. Uh, there's a lot of hands-on, I believe. And uh, in the evening, even there is an astronomical observation meeting that you can attend. So uh, so that's just one of the things you can find on our calendar. Oh, sounds good. Sounds mm-hmm. good. Uh-huh. Are, are you going to attend uh, the, the Fringe in Edinburgh, uh, Brian? Yes, I certainly am. I'll be going over there, uh, you know, maybe once or twice a week, depending on, on work commitments and such mm-hmm. like. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know you guys mentioned it on a, on a previous show. Um, it is a stellar lineup the Edinburgh Skeptics have put together. And, oh, yeah. you know, uh, as always, um, Glasgow Skeptics have been sucking on the teat of the Edinburgh Skeptics. We are um, <laughs> shamelessly <laughs> stealing a couple of their speakers to to come over and speak in Glasgow for us as well. So Hayley Stevens is going to come over and do a talk for oh, us um, mm. before she does her Edinburgh talk. And mm. Britt Hermes is going to come and talk for Glasgow a couple oh, of days after she speaks nice. for Edinburgh. Very yeah, nice. really excited about both of those. Yeah, but mm. you, you really are working very hard. Is it true that you have uh, uh, skeptics in the pub every Monday, Brian? We fill up every single Monday with some form of science and scepticism. Now, there's another group called Café Scientifique who who usually have an event on the first Monday of the month, so we usually go to that. Um, and then we fill the rest of the Mondays with our events. But Café Sci, just as an example, they, they are taking a break for their summer holidays in July. And July is a five-week month, so we've actually got five talks going on during the, the, the month of July. So Glasgow skeptics have been very very busy as you can imagine yeah fantastic very nice nice dedication there to get that going (laughs) yeah so again like for for folk for listeners if you're ever in glasgow you don't even need to look at the events calendar on the esp website if it's a monday and you're in glasgow we're doing something come check us out yeah and it's in the the admiral bar it's right? mostly in the Admiral Bar, yes, yeah. but we've uh, we've started running occasional events in uh, in Waterstones up in Socky Hall Street as well. They've got a nice little nook and a projector and a PA system, and they look after us very nicely. So we're sort of alternating between the two venues now, but the Admiral uh, remains our spiritual home, of course. Ah, fantastic! Great. That sounds that sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, if anyone is around the area, please go and attend. Show mm. your face to this Brian guy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Brian, I'm still a bit confused. 
Uh, do you prefer to be called Brian or Eggman? Oh, uh, it's very much your preference, not mine. So whatever suits you best. I, I you know, it, Eggman is just a nice thing I like to sign off my emails and stuff on. And if people call <laughs> me that, lovely. But you know, if you want to be use my Sunday name and call me Brian, I am fine with that. Okay, I'm gonna call you Eggman, Eggman from now on. It comes natural, a bit more natural to me for some reason. Probably Excellent. because of you having signed off as Eggman on your emails. <laughs> Yeah, because you've bombarded me, uh, us with emails. That makes me sound like a bit of a stalker. No, you're not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, you you, can't, you did contact us a couple of times before you, you first came on the show, I think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, Agman, it's very good to have you back on the show. Great to be back. Guys, have you got someone that you would nominate for a, for a John Maddox Prize? There might be a couple, but please... If you have someone that you can think of, don't waste any more time. Nominate them on Sense About Science's website because the nominations are open until the 31st of July only. Hmm. Okay. Time's running short. Yeah. So, yeah, you've you've contacted a, a lot of skeptics that do a great job. Some even gave talks at your event. So... You might be able to find 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 someone to nominate. Yeah, I think I'll I'll maybe pull out to the uh, to the Glasgow Skeptics Facebook group and uh, and see if they want to put forward somebody who's been uh, to speak for us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is something that um, other skeptic groups could do. So don't contact us about it. Do find the website of Sense About Science, which will be on the show notes as well, and cast your vote. But if you want to contact us. You can do that. Jelena, where are you? Jelena, it's your turn now. <laughs> yes, you can find us on Facebook and like our Facebook page. And please share our episodes as well. And you can find us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu. You can uh, visit our website, which is theesp.eu. And you can uh, fill in the contact form there or uh, find uh, other ways to, to get in touch. And... Of course, you can uh, send us an email to info at theesp.eu. Okay. And if you want to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And please, if you like our show, leave us a review. If you don't like our show, please don't. Five stars, people. Come on. Yeah, we need those five stars. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think what we need now is to move on to our actual segments because we haven't officially started the show until we get to the segment that is called This Week in Skepticism. Unfortunately, we don't have Yelena to talk about someone this week, but we have Andres, <laughs> who's a bit of a fan of this guy that he wants to, to, to talk about. He was born on the 28th of July. 1902 in the country of uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire or Austro-Hungary as they call it in Vienna. He is considered to be the most important uh, philosopher of science in the 20th century and that's because of his rejection of the classical inductivist views uh, regarding the scientific method and what science is all about in favor of empirical falsification. So, I am talking about Sir Karl Raimund Popper. Does the name ring a bell? Yes, it does. I'm afraid not. 
so I'm not a philosopher of science, so it might not be 100% accurate what I'm saying. But based on what I've read about his views and his ideas, as opposed to the inductivist views, which are that we need to gather as much evidence as possible in favor of a certain theory to accept it as a, the reality, as, as a true theory, or as a theory that is actually uh, proven, we you need to turn back on this uh, this very idea and say that what you are seeking when you come across an idea uh, a scientific theory is falsification empirical falsification of that very theory and what that means is that you can hold that theory true and you can you can consider that theory valid until it's disproven so there, there is a very important consideration there, that in theory, a theory has to be falsifiable. Yeah. If a theory is not falsifiable, that is not a scientific theory. Because there has to be a way, a theoretical way, of falsifying that scientific theory. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, you just make things up. I understand yeah, you can exactly. just make, yeah. make things up, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there so is no is... way of proving or disproving it. Yeah. 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 So, so Karl Popper was the one who, who invented or came up with this philosophy? Uh, yes, I'm not 100% sure that he was the one mentioning it for the first time or, mm. or coming up with it in the first time, but he uh, formulated a whole theory of this. It was uh, The Logic of Scientific Discovery. The title of the book is it was published in 1934. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's a recommended read for everyone. And he was born on the 28th of July 1902. So, Sir Karl Raimund Popper. Hmm. Very good. Thank you very much for that theory. I think it's a very important part of uh, of how how we think about science, because that's then you can you can really get rid of those ideas that are absolutely impossible to prove or disprove. Because those are not scientific ideas. It's like uh, some argue that that the existence of God is is a non scientific theory because it cannot be falsified. No, correct. You can how, mm. you can how how can you disprove the existence of something? It's not it's impossible. And and this is why there's continued uh, dispute about the burden of proof when it comes to uh, the the existence of a god. So oh, yeah. uh, you know certainly from a scientific perspective, as you say, we cannot disprove it. Yeah, yeah. No, so so it's a very very useful uh, idea or philosophy to have in your the back of your mind because it makes it easier to select where to what what to focus your efforts on. If you cannot disprove something, then you might as well not bother really because you, we will never get anywhere yeah but for example when you break it down into smaller theories or theories that can be used as part of a larger theory like god is the only one who can create life the moment you create life in a laboratory you disprove the theory yeah yeah go read the book people the title was the logic of scientific discovery yeah and if if someone wants to correct me or add something to this please feel free to contact us info at the esp.eu Okay, let's move on to the news items that we have lined up for today. And since we have a guest today, why don't we start with him talking about something interesting? All right, thanks for that. Yeah, and um, sorry to be bringing the tone down a little bit, but um, 
Uh, I'd like to talk about suicide and suicide myths. Uh, and this is, was prompted very much by the, um, the tragic suicide um, I were recording on Friday night here. So just last night, it was Chester Bennington from, from Lincoln Park, and he yeah. uh, appears to have committed suicide. And it's, and it's not long after uh, Chris Cornell from Soundgarden uh, did, did the same thing. So it's, it's very much in our consciousness at the moment. Um, it's very much in the news and, and, and under discussion. And, and, and in a way, one of the best things we can take from this is a very taboo subject like suicide can uh, can actually be spoken about openly um, you know in, in in a constructive way so what I thought I would do is is take a look at um, some some sort of myths and facts about suicide now just a quick disclaimer before I do that uh, I am neither a doctor nor a counselor nor a psychologist um, I, I've kind of put together some information at pretty short notice um, referring to the type of resources that kind of any regular person might look up if they were if they were searching online so you know if I if I happen to get any of my facts wrong I apologize in advance I hope people understand that I'm doing it in in the spirit of uh, of openness and discussion. So let's let's start off um, and and talk about something that I heard a lot when when I was younger. And and Pontus, I, I want uh, I want your answer on this one first, please. Mm -hmm. True or, true or false, Pontus? Scandinavian suicide rates are higher than the rest of Europe. I don't think that's true. I think it is. Yeah. You think it is? Why do you think it is? Uh, I've heard theories that. Because of the the shorter daylight hours, there is a higher rate of depression. That's that's exactly what I heard um, in in my younger days as well. So um, I I can confirm that that uh, particular thing is false. Um, okay, it's, Glad it's to not hear that. true. Yeah, so I win. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, there's no prize for this, but you know, certainly <laughs> when when you look at the suicide rates in Scandinavia. Um, and, and, and a lot of the measurements are by per hundred thousand. It is slightly higher for Finland, uh, but, you know, Denmark yeah. and, and Sweden and Norway, they're around, you know, just under 10 or 11 people per hundred thousand. So it's actually kind of in the lower end in, in Europe. Um, the stats I had, like the UK are 6.2. And, and what you tend to find is uh, as you head further, further to the east, it, it tends to get higher. Uh, for example, uh, Ukraine is uh, sixteen point eight, Poland sixteen point six, um, Hungary uh, interestingly is is quite high up at nineteen, and, and Lithuania is way way up higher up at up at twenty eight point two. So um, you know, bear in mind we're still talking about per hundred thousand. It's, it's it's you know small numbers comparatively, but a big difference just there from from country to country. Well, yeah, but I would say even one person per hundred thousand uh, is still higher than than should be. So, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Mm, yeah. um, okay, um, to back. Let's let's move to another one. Um, true or false? Men commit suicide more than women. Hmm. My intuition would say that it's true. Yeah, me too. Me too. 
Yeah, um, and and in in the most you you're correct. Uh, certainly in in Europe that's the case. Just as an example, the ratio in UK is uh, three point eight to one. Sweden is two point seven to one. Hungary is four point four to one. Wow. Um, the highest in, in in ratio in Europe is 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 Poland with with eight to one. So, wow. um, it certainly seems like it's men um, that that are committing suicide more than women. There's a few countries in the world where where the suicide rate of females are, are higher. Apparently, Bangladesh, China, Indonesia, Iraq, and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, as I say, that is a, a, a small minority of countries there. Mm. Is there a theory as to why that is the case? I, I think it's a, a lot down to, uh, I guess, sort of gender stereotyping and and, mm-hmm. and the expectations that are placed on on men, and and there is discussion about whether uh, men in general are are not as good uh, at discussing their feelings and when they have a problem uh, than than females as well. So yeah. I think there's there's a number of factors that play into that. Um, and and if you look at societal differences, you know, even across Europe, um, you know, as, as you move further east in Europe, there is a tendency for 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 the role of the male to be certainly you know much more patriarchal, um, kind of stereotypical man, and and you know with the pressures of um, providing for the family, etc., inside that. So th- they're all contributing factors, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that that sounds. Uh plausible what i've heard about also is that there's definitely an age component here as well and what i you mentioned finland and what i've heard and this is not something i can link to or something is that but it's that it's uh among students uh university students that they they feel they cannot people uh, get stuck in the in the in the the expectations of being uh, successful in, at university, and and that drives a certain amount of suicides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder how much of that has to do with uh, financial difficulties, in uh, mostly in the 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 Eastern European countries. Mm. Yeah, um, I, that that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, obviously the, the the pressures of work are and the pressures of life in general are are, are hard in, in in all places. But you know, perhaps if uh, you are in a country where perhaps the economy is struggling more, then um, you know that's certainly going to have an impact on the person who is meant to be providing for for the family. And and of course the the gender roles that you talked about. I'm pretty sure that in many of the of the the Eastern European countries, uh we are far far behind the western and and northern European countries with regards to gender equality. After the the curtain fell, we suddenly came across these new ideas and we we wanted to internalize them but what it it doesn't happen overnight so you have to be able to to recognize the differences you have to be able to recognize uh, recognize what's important in 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 these certain roles that that people can play based on their gender and and if you stick to the traditional old ways of living your life as a man as opposed to a woman and and your manlyhood hangs on the woman being suppressed <laughs> some of these countries probably still have a, a lingering tradition of that kind if you don't know what i mean 
most definitely. Uh, yeah, that is interesting. We still have to learn to to live with gender equality, and that's not 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 easy. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's let's take one more. Okay. So, uh, true or false? Most suicides happen in the winter months. I would say true. Yes. Yes, I would think so too. Yeah. Yeah, I would say true. Okay. And why would you think that? Well, being from the north, from Northern Europe, it's dark and depressing here, and you know, some parts of the country the sun doesn't even get over the horizon for for a month or so, and and that would drive depression. Is my guess. Okay. So, and when it's cold, you're stuck in your house. You, oh, you can go out. There is no. Yeah, it's like. There, there's another thing I've heard as well, and that's the Christmas holidays for people who don't have a family or a social oh, yeah. gathering. It's very depressing to hear about others celebrating together with their families, and they feel very alone, and that can trigger things like that, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I. Uh, Give us the truth. Well revealed. That one is false. Okay. Uh, suicide oh. apparently is more common in the spring and summer months. Uh, exactly really? why, I do not know. But yeah, again, it's it's one of those things people may tend to assume, you know, it's it's cold, it's wet, it's dark, it's going to have more effect. And and I've heard the Christmas one as well. Um, and, and I think uh, whilst that may happen in some cases, um, it's actually around that time of year even people who are generally more lonely throughout the rest of the year will have people around them at that time of year and, and it's less likely mm -hmm. to happen good so point. it's it's slightly counterintuitive there makes sense yeah good point you know there there's a number of, of other kind of myths and facts and stuff that i got from the uh, the samaritans website but i think j just to end to end the conversation here um I, again just to highlight you know the the stats that i got i grabbed them at short notice i would encourage anyone who is uh um feeling in any anyway uh that way inclined or if you uh are are concerned for anybody uh, that you may think uh, be inclined in that way there there are resources that you can find online um, and i'm sure that varies from country to country um, but please you know uh, open up talk about it um, seek help as best as you can and um, you know be aware of uh, of the best practices that you can uh, you can adopt in such a difficult situation couldn't agree more hmm. and sometimes things look much more complicated than they are and and we we make theories out of nothing and and just speculate and then turns out that the numbers show something something else but then simplicity is is something that that we shouldn't seek because the truth can be a bit a bit more complicated than that Exactly. It's it's incredibly nuanced. And, and you know, despite the generalizations we've spoken about there, you know, the, there's, you know, each and every situation is different and needs to be tackled um, in, in a different and, and respectful and, and, and open and honest way. Yeah. Hmm. I'll, I keep telling that, but Ben Goldacre has a book, is a collection of his writings on The Guardian and, so, and, and elsewhere. And the title is, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. There's a big uh, danger in, in trying to... S the simplification of science that we have and the pseudoscience that is so prevalent in, in the media and on the internet and in the world nowadays. Uh, the Spanish skeptics point our attention to a new book 
uh, authored by Daniel Rob oh, Daniel Roberto Altschuler. It's probably how you pronounce it. He's a, he's a scientist. He's a uh, I believe he is a astrophysicist, and he's written a book called Contra la Simpleza Ciencia in Isido Isido Ciencia. Hard to pronounce. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, prob probably did. Probably nailed it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it's uh, s something they recommend, and if you uh, read Spanish, I think absolutely you should should uh, read it too and catch up on on that book. Yeah, or you could read someone else's books. Uh, you know, there is a guy who has written several books on. Uh, Alien encounters, UFOs, extraterrestrial phenomena of different kinds, and alien abductions even. And his name is Robert Matthews. And you know what's best about him? Yep. He's now a new Tory member of the European Parliament for the UK. Yay. Yippee. <laughs> well, couldn't be more proud. No, they're, they're going to be thrown out of there very soon. So it doesn't matter so much. <laughs> Unless he's right. Because if he's right, then the EU could invade the the UK to stop Brexit. Oh, who told them about our plan? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just surprised to hear about a Tory accepting any form of aliens coming anywhere near us. <laughs> <laughs> That's very... a good point. He has a theory that the Lisbon Treaty gives the European Commission the power and the right to invade Britain. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> sure that's true. Yeah, well, I don't think he read the same Lisbon Treaty as everyone else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, if 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 someone knows which uh, paragraph of the treaty he's referring to that that would give the EU the right to do that, I'm more than happy to, to admit that I was wrong. But uh, until then, <laughs> I don't think I will. Even one like, of his... Even if he was right, why would they do that? I don't know. I mean, if you guys want to come over here for a little fist fight in a car park, you're more than welcome <laughs> to, but... It seems a little bit pointless to even consider it. No, but mm. he's actually talking about uh, panzers, uh, panzer tanks in, in, being sent to London. So, yeah, yeah, but 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 he's, he's, been he's reading a too many of his Second World War comics and stuff. He's very <laughs> yeah. overexcited, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's 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 yeah. clearly a crackpot, and and even one Tory MP was referring to him as a mad as a box of snakes. And this is the first time I've come across this expression, actually, but I love it. I'm going to use it I from think, now on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good, but I think the box of snakes might be insulted. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what I don't know is, is that, that something is, is definitely wrong in the Tory uh, high command as well. Because at first, in 2012, when he was about to, uh, to take the place of a retiring MEP... Uh, they stopped him from replacing that guy. But now, they were not looking, or I don't know how, they, how this happened this time. Uh, there was an East Midlands MP who won a seat at Westminster, who used to be an MEP. Then he automatically, because he was the, the next on the list, he automatically became the next MEP. So, wow. That sounds democratic. Yeah. Absolutely democratic. Unelected Eurocrats. If only we could have some kind of vote to stop that happening, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know where you've been lately, but uh, <laughs> that vote actually took place a bit more than a year ago. I, I, I've been, ever since then, I've had my fingers in my ears and I've been going, nah, 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 not listening. So I've no idea what the result was. And you know what? I, I don't yeah. blame you for that. No. <laughs> because that's probably the, the, the best, way, best thing to do. It makes the most sense. <laughs> yeah. But this definitely doesn't. Get a doesn't... In the Winchester, have a pint and wait for it all to blow over. <laughs> yeah. But apparently, anyone can become an MEP now in the UK. So... Yeah. For now. Yeah. Probably, probably for the same reason. It's like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> it's, it doesn't it doesn't last long anyway. <laughs> anything, anything more cheerful, or um, do you want to bring bring the mood down again, Eggman? Yeah, just just when we thought we were starting to have fun, um, I, I thought I'd talk about cancer. Yeah. Um, Good. <laughs> Why don't we have Good you call. on the show more often? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brian, come back, won't you? Yeah. Okay. But you know, don't worry. Um, it's a little bit of bad news, but there's some good news at the end of it. Okay, I'm waiting for if that. If you believe the story. So let, let me give you a couple of headlines. Um, the Independent. Chemotherapy could spread cancer cells and lead to more advanced tumours, says study. Mm. The Telegraph. Chemotherapy may spread cancer and trigger more aggressive tumours, warn scientists. The Daily Mail. Chemotherapy could cause cancer to spread and grow back even more aggressive, new study claims. There was about 11 bullet points after that in the Daily Mail as well. Mm. So, but, but I think, um, you know, as always, the, uh, the British newspapers stumbled their way through their science journalism um, in, in typical bumbling fashion. Um, but the most entertaining um, spin on this particular story was on a website called themindunleashed.com. Ever gone there, guys? Not lately, no. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, I mean, I, w I wouldn't advise it. It's it's more like the mindunhinged.com, I think would be more appropriate. <laughs> so they, their take on it, well, uh, or the writer's take on it was, chemotherapy proven to spread cancer cause lethal tumours in groundbreaking new study. So they said... Um, in a groundbreaking new study, they've proven that chemotherapy causes cancer cells to spread throughout the body to replicate themselves, making your cancer worse, not better. So the scientist who, who conducted this study, uh, which was titled, uh, forgive the pronunciation, Neoadjuvant chemo Chemotherapy Induces Breast Cancer Meta Metastasis Through a TMEM-Mediated Mechanism. They warn that chemo... Um, the procedure which costs people upwards of $100,000 per treatment can create lethal tumours. So what the uh, reporter is saying here, or then goes on to claim, is this study m makes a massive move in exposing the perpetual fraud of the chemotherapy slash cancer industry. Um, in America alone, it is a $200 billion industry. It's the part of the reason why our insurance premiums are ridiculously high and unassuming cancer sufferers keep on suffering. So, uh, you guys must be devastated to hear that, right? Mm. I'm, I'm, waiting for the, I'm, I'm waiting for the logic here because, you know, if you, if you give people cancer, they die and then you can't sell them more medicine. So, it has to be a very fine balance. You have to keep them sick. Yeah. But not as sick as they die, but as sick as they still need more treatments. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a problem. If you're giving people bigger tumours, yeah, well spotted. So I, I guess I think the narrative here is 
you have to give them just a little bit of chemotherapy just to give them enough cancer to keep them sick. Um, mm-hmm. Nice. You know, and and you know, as you've probably already guessed, guys, this is this is standard um, anti big pharma rhetoric here. Um, that is, you know, taken taken a study and uh, and and used it as a some kind of weaponized excuse to sort of spread their bullshit. So, talking of bullshit, you know, get your bullshit bingo cards at the ready. So the article then goes on. Of course, it says, look, if you know someone who's currently set to receive chemotherapy. Share this information with them uh, and perhaps offer alternatives such as. And then we get four examples of the of things they can try instead of chemotherapy. So would you guys like to guess any of those? Mm-hmm. A non-gluten diet. Um, sounds about right. Um, <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get points, but it is definitely oh. a good suggestion. <laughs> okay. Alkaline diet? Uh, alkaline, yes. Alkaline oh, water. Also yes. a good shout. So uh, you're Great. choosing a different brand of bullshit here, guys. So <laughs> let, let, let me take you through the four options I've got here. So first one is Gerson therapy. Oh, yeah. Uh, ever heard of that? No. Yeah. What's that? I, I have heard about it, but I don't know what it is. Okay, uh, to summarize quickly, it is uh, involving vegetable and fruit juicing to load the body with powerful antioxidants. And if that didn't sound enough fun, you also get some coffee enemas to help the, with that oh, as well. Oh, whippy. Whippy, yeah. yeah. And that costs you thousands and thousands of dollars. I think, and I think you have to go outside of the US for it. Um, okay, next one. The Budwig or Budwig B-U-D-W-I-G protocol. Ever heard of that? <laughs> no. 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 What? This, this was a, a yeah. A, what? Th- this was a new one to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> I must be missing out. <laughs> so um, this involves loading the body with healthy omega threes and removing ah. toxic buildup with turmeric and black pepper. Mm. Yeah, that sounds familiar. So Mm. we had fruit and veg and coffee enemas in the first one. The second one appears to be sort of herbs and spices. Mm. Next one is vitamin C chelation therapy. Ah. Mm. Chelation through vitamin C? Ah. Yeah. I don't think that even works. (laughs) Hey, hey. That's better. How how disrespectful of you. Um, So this (laughs) is high-dose vitamin C administered through an IV. Um, Apparently, it's another method of treating cancer naturally because sticking an IV in is very, very natural. Yeah. Okay. And last but not least on the list here is medical marijuana. Ah. I'm surprised you guys didn't come up with that. No, that's right. I'm all for that. Oh. Well, I, 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 yeah, me too. Definitely for medical <laughs> reasons only. <laughs> if you're ever short of the munchies, then it's a good effort. So, it, you know, the, the, as I say, it's it's standard, you know, anti-big pharma and here's our natural treatments. And, you know, the comments on that particular item are, you know, uh, depressing and encouraging in equal measures. There's plenty of people who are calling it out. Just quickly, the the um, the author of that article is someone by the name of Christina Sarich. Uh, note there's no doctor at the front of her name there Um, but you know she does have some good qualifications she's a musician a yogi a humanitarian and a freelance writer who channels many hours of studying Lao Tzu Paramahansa Yogananda I I don't know what that is Yogananda (laughs) etc etc she's also got um, a, a number of books for sale and her latest one is called Pharma Sutra Healing the Body and mind through the art of yoga. 
was that Pharma Sutra? Pharma Sutra, yeah. See, now, to me, that sounds like a sort of an experiment with a couple of gymnasts and a bag of Viagra, but no, apparently <laughs> it's uh, healing your mind through, uh, through yoga. Oh, right. Yoga must be more fun than I had imagined. Huh? Yeah. So just to, to sort of put a, a lid on all of this, um, I'd like to point the listeners towards a, an excellent article by, uh, by David Gorsky in, in the Science-Based Medicine blog, which, um, you know, tackles these claims uh, in in great detail. And in the interest of time, I'll not go through too much of it, but, you know, essentially what he's saying is, is the study is, um, uh, well, it's tentative for a start, but what it could do is, is help provide us really, really useful information about the application of chemotherapy. So it most certainly doesn't mean that chemotherapy is not a viable option, but it means that in certain cases, we may need to um, modulate the way that we, we apply it uh, and, uh, and consider best cases. So the quick summary... Um, when it's observed that, for instance, neoadjuvant chemotherapy might not be having as strong an effect on tumours as it could, scientists look for the reason why. If that reason why happens to be that some forms of chemotherapy might increase the ability of cells from the tumour to spread, decreasing the benefit of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, they look for the molecular and cellular mechanisms responsible for that problem and try to find ways to exploit them to overcome the problem. So this is actually an important study about how we can improve our cancer treatment here. So, you know, as always, folks, um, if you're unfortunate enough to be diagnosed with cancer, I would recommend you see a doctor, not a yoga instructor. <laughs> good, good advice. It's a I very think. good advice, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Then I'd like to go to Italy for the next news item. Actually, it's not such a, so much a, a news item as, a, as an absence of news. Because we talked about this a little bit on episode 79, I believe. Andras, you mentioned that there were demonstrations against, uh, or possibly demonstrations against... Uh, vaccines in Italy, mm -hmm. because it Italy has just uh, uh, amended or passed a new law making more vaccines mandatory uh, for, for, for kids. And in my Facebook feed over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've seen several posts about huge vaccine demonstrations as a protest against the new, this new law. Uh, and I've heard it said that millions of Italians have been on the streets regarding this. The strange thing is that I cannot find any evidence that that's true. I've seen some demonstrations on Vimeo and on YouTube, but uh, as hard as I try to look, it's, it's a couple of hundred people sometimes, mm -hmm. but not more than that. Yeah, it so, was it was the same people that counted the numbers at the Donald Trump's inauguration. That, yeah, uh, gave it must have been, that. must have been. Yeah, so millions of Italians on the streets. I don't believe so. Actually, I was actually myself. I was in Rome about ten days ago, and I didn't see anything. So that doesn't prove anything, though. But so, but I, I would really like to hear. This is more like a call out to our Italian listeners to let us know how big these protests are, really, and uh, what's the truth about this. Also, I've seen it in several places that there are, in these new, this new law, there are no medical exceptions to the mandatory vaccinations, which just sounds absurd. I mean, if you have a kid who's clearly allergic or, or somehow differently, you know, 
cannot cannot uh, have the vaccination. I'm yeah, sure if they're immunocompromised. Yes, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm sure. I'm sure the, the doctors do not force that kid to be vaccinated. But I've seen that stated on the interwebs. But maybe I'm following the wrong pages. So, so if you know anything about this, please write into the show at uh, info at the esp.eu so we can get clarity in this. It's yeah, interesting. You know, to hear. like if 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 we were better on the ball, mm-hmm. like Yellen is in Italy right now, we could be going to her like a live report Ooh. on the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but we, you know, you can ask her to report back if she um, happened across any anti-vaccination uh, squirrels when she was there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The squirrels are the most violent uh, uh, protesters there. I'm sure. But Yelena can take care of them, of course, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, we're still in Italy. We recently mentioned the Shroud of Turin because uh, we had Luigi Garlaschelli on the show for an interview. And uh, he was among those who investigated the Shroud of Turin. And he made a copy of it uh, using the same techniques that might have been used in the, on the original. What, he killed Jesus? <laughs> yeah, he did kill Jesus. In the name of science, though. Well, whoever was killed for it, if if it ha- it did happen, uh, was not killed in the time of Jesus. Uh, it was uh, that person was killed much, much, much later, uh, like a couple of th- centuries later. Yeah, but this time, all across the news, it's reprinted and reshared by uh, all the the different Catholic news outlets um, I, I came across it uh, on the crooks which uh, bears the subtitle taking the Catholic pulse and obviously major news outlets that are like the independent and and others also used it but it's based on a research that was published on plus one and the title is atomic resolution studies detect new biologic evidences on the Turin shroud but and uh, interestingly uh, the the research was uh, uh, the research took place uh, the actual research project at the University of Padua which is the university where Luigi Garlaschelli did his work <laughs> but what they came up with is that they detected on a nanoscale uh, they they detected uh, uh, properties and particles uh, that according to them, suggested that the person, uh, there was someone going through a massive amount of trauma. uh, And this is why two of the major uh, uh, nanoparticles that appeared on on the shroud indicated that event to have taken place. Uh, Ferritin was one of those, and creatinine. And there are a couple of articles that they point to with regards to how these materials, these chemicals, are linked to massive trauma in uh, humans. But actually, there are other ways that it could get it, it could get there, like uh, wherever blood is present, uh, creatinine is very likely to appear because it's just there. It's it's. Uh, synthesized primarily in the liver and it circulates in the body the other the other is uh, ferritin which is present in all living organisms basically because it is a protein that is produced by living cells so 
it doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily have to be blood either. Although, uh, based on previous research on the the shroud of Turin, there might be blood. So the stains that are present, they are they might be from blood, but it's 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 still debated. So some some research pieces even pointed out that it's it's an AB type blood. It's a bit far fetched, but um, yeah. So. Do, do is... we know Christ's blood type? Is this type? Uh, I have no. no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> but even even if that happened, based on the dating of of the Shroud of Turin, it was it's 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 about a thousand year old. Um, so it could not be Jesus Christ. But even if it wasn't Jesus Christ, even if someone was someone's blood was used based on what i i could find about this what what i could i could see on those uh, articles that were um cited well the evidence is not very compelling well i would i would say that it's still debatable whether it it was actual blood and it's even if it was blood uh it doesn't necessarily mean that the person would have had to go through a massive amount of trauma before before being getting covered by the by the shroud, but that doesn't keep the independent and news outlets like that from uh, dropping to the conclusion of the person having been traumatized by violence or torture, because uh, the the independent goes as far as to state in the title of their article that shroud of turin stained with blood from torture victim find researchers that's that's what they conclude uh in their article which is uh well even if there was some trauma it doesn't necessarily mean that it was through torture Ah, just a classic mistake so it's just one thing that i wanted to throw in that it's it's an interesting piece of research it was published on plus one and we might hear about that later on and i'm really excited because i will be attending or i plan to attend uh luigi garlaskelli's talk at um Chicup fest and it's not going to be about the shroud of turin it's going to be about san gennaro's blood but uh i'm pretty sure that i'm gonna i'm gonna ask him about his opinion on uh, this this piece of research because I would bet that he has read it. So, is is anyone in the the religious community taking taking this seriously? Uh, yeah, are they high fiving each other? Yeah, really? so, so so what 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 is happening apparently is that now they uh, they consider this as a kind of a blow to the scientific community, uh, and especially among uh, especially those who are doubting that that had anything to do with. Christ, right? Because look at that—the person who was covered with this has gone through trauma, and yeah, what other ways to think of going through trauma than being hit and and whipped, whipped and yeah, and nailed on the cross? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of thinking. I don't think Jesus is the only person in history to to been slapped around a little bit. I mean, you know, or, or yeah. Or, or contain blood 
And you know, it's, it's pretty common. Or crucified for that matter. I, I wouldn't put it past them to, to crucify somebody in the Middle Ages just to, to, uh, to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to falsify this shroud. Yeah, I mean, the big mystery about the Turin Shroud is that anybody still takes it seriously. I mean, this is the equivalent of, like, seeing Jesus in your toast, you know? Except, like, toasters hadn't been invented back then, so they had to make do with uh, with shrouds. Um, it's uh, it's baffling. But you don't... You, yeah, you, you must not forget that uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, and it... It went on up until the, the probably the beginning of the 20th century and even even longer than that probably it became a business yeah. that someone came up with some kind of of relic and if someone a high-ranking cleric accepted it as a relic then uh, yeah it just lived on it, it it became a phenomenon and this is this is how uh, sandhood could be reached as well for for some people that that it only took a couple of enthusiasts who really believed in that person and they started a movement and the movement ended up being successful that's where you get a saint <laughs> yeah that's great so i'm going to i'm going to get some jesus toast i'm going to bribe a bribe a bishop uh, to endorse me, and uh, I'm going to be quids in tourist attraction. Sounds <laughs> yeah. about it. Sounds about right when you when you really want to reach centered, yeah. But first, you have to die. Yeah. So uh, well, wait, yeah. wait with that for a while. All in good time, but Saint yeah. Eggman has got a good sound to it. <laughs> yes, Saint Eggman. Oh my God. I mean, you can you can start calling me that now if you want. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I would start a massive. A massive crowdsourcing campaign and build a sanctuary. <laughs> Excellent for Saint Agman. There's something called. And one final point. Who, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Whoever invented the word creating and really needs to think about their naming a bit better. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's like one step up from thingy or stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the the origin. Yeah, it's a uh, creatine phosphate that that it's the a break, breakdown product of. So I just wanted to put it out there, and we have gone through our list of news items for this week. But that means we have something else coming up, and that something else is uh, probably the most interesting part of all our shows when we finally find out who has been wrong lately mm-hmm. yeah because usually people are not right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no well this is a bit depressing as well i'm afraid um and when will it end really uh, this week's really wrong is almost too predictable but we cannot stop caring about the horrible abuse that we hear about from the catholic church Mm-hmm. And this time we go to Regensburg in southeast Germany, uh, which is also known as uh, Rathisbun in English, I believe. Is it? Okay. Uh, it's a famous... Yeah, yeah, that's what Wikipedia tells me that. That's great, isn't it? We can't be bothered pronouncing your town properly, no, no, so we're just going to simplify something else, it. yeah. But it's, it's... Great British. Yeah. But apparently it's a great uh, center for medieval culture. And apparently they haven't come too far from the Dark Ages today, judging from this story. 
the story is about uh, the Catholic choir school there. According to a newly presented report, 547 boys at the school has been confirmed as victims of two daily beatings and sexual abuse by the priests and teachers there between the 1940s all the way up to 1992. 49 of the teachers and priests have been pointed out as abusers, nine of which have also been uh, named uh, sexually abusive. So, uh, I mean, we're not surprised anymore, are we? Uh, it, it's terrible. Uh, uh, it goes also very high up in the current Catholic leadership. How high? Uh, one, I'll tell you, one former bishop of Regensburg uh, was, um, during part of this time, uh, is currently a cardinal, Cardinal Gerhard Ludwig Müller. And he was later appointed head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Do you know that? body you know what that is oh yeah yeah oh yeah oh yeah that that was used to they used to call it the inquisition but that name wasn't too uh, favorable so they changed it and now they also to be honest they changed a little bit of the of, of the the purpose of of this uh, thing but uh, it's now supposed to investigate uh, charges just like this about sexual abuse uh, also we may recall that the former pope benedict Joseph Ratzinger mm-hmm. uh, had that position before he became the Pope, and when he became the Pope, he appointed uh, this cardinal to to take his place. Speaking of uh, uh, Ratzinger, uh, Joseph Ratzinger has a brother called Georg Ratzinger, and he happened to run this cathedral choir for for thirty years, and he never reported anything wrong with this. Can you imagine 547 boys? These are the boys that they have identified and named. They were all the victims. Mm. Uh, uh, They were all victims. They were not all the victims because there were probably more that they haven't found yet. Of course. So um, this almost 10 years ago, Louis C.K., had uh, a skit that is still available online. And I'm going to play you a clip from this. Well, I, I thought that the that the point of the church was to worship God, and the boy fucking was just incidental. No, it's just the other way around. The point of the church is the boy fucking. All the other stuff is just busy work. Hmm. So, oh. it's almost not funny anymore, because it's so serious. But it, he got it perfectly right. How come this huge, very wealthy organization for years and years and years have been home for, for all these pedophiles and this abuse and they still can't deal with it. They're still not apologizing. They're still not doing anything. They, they have paid a little compensation, a couple of thousand euros to these victims or, or they're about to do that, but no apology, no serious attempts to get this out of the way. I'm sure this still goes on today. We hear it all the time. Mm. Without a doubt. And uh, I mean, just a reminder, if anybody out there, um, you know, still attends church, that's where the money you're putting in the donations plate is going to, amongst other places. Yeah, absolutely. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we, we've had suicide, we've had cancer, and now we finish off with child molestation. Yes. It's been a cheery night for us, exactly. guys. Exactly. That, that's true. And uh, for this never-ending child abuse, the, the Catholic Church, again, because I've done this before, gets today's prize for being really wrong. You really have a thing against the Catholic Church, don't you? I didn't actually before we we started it podcast this podcast and I started to do the research. Oh yeah, this is re- yeah. I mean, they're they're not the only organization that's been found guilty of molesting kids, but they're so high up the league table. They're like way ahead. Yeah. Certainly, the most successful at that. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, it's not the kind of competition, you know, I, I wouldn't encourage we include it in the Olympics, but, you know, <laughs> oh if we God. did, you know, they'd get a lot of gold medals. I mean, they've got a lot of gold in the church anyway already. <laughs> they should melt their own gold love, medals, yeah. Love to have some more gold. No bloody way. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, that is sure. too bad. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. Mm. All right. <laughs> it's, it's good to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. God, come back again, please. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean, I I thank Pontus, not not the Catholic Church, obviously. <laughs> so uh, let's listen to what other skeptics across Europe have to say about their own activities. Hello, dear skeptical friends. This is Claire Kleinberg, co-organizer of the European Skeptics Congress 2017. This year, the Congress will be held in Wroclaw, Poland on September 22nd to 24th, and it is my absolute pleasure to invite you to attend. Come and listen to talks by James Randi, Susan Gerbic, Mark Linnis, Susan Blackmore, Scott Lilienfeld, and others. Discuss topics like science and religion, pseudoscience and media, paranormal investigation, and more. To buy a ticket and to get more information about the Congress, go to euroskepticscon.org or find us on Facebook. See you there! Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews, and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. Glasgow or are you planning to visit sometime then you're in luck because Glasgow Skeptics have got your Monday nights sorted we're committed to filling up every available Monday night with talks on science and scepticism past speakers include Eugenie Scott Jerry Coyne Michael Marshall Nate Phelps Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance PZ Myers Richard Wiseman AC Grayling Noah Heath and Eli from The Scathing Atheist Simon Singh, Rebecca Watson and a multitude of local academics and sceptics. There's literally nothing better you can do on a Monday night in Glasgow that doesn't involve taking your clothes off. So come join us. We've also got a vibrant online community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and get involved with the discussion. Glasgow Sceptics. Self-help for your brain. 
And now we've got to that point when usually Yelena provides us with a very good quote. But since Yelena is not here, we're giving the opportunity to our friend Eggman. Please. Thanks very much. So the quote tonight is, Science is always simple and always profound. It is only the half-truths that are dangerous. And that was George Bernard Shaw. Mm. Very, very wise. Very wise. Now we are going to have to end the show because uh, obviously we are having so much fun, but this has to end at some point. So I'd like to thank both of you. Agman, for coming back on the show. It's been a blast. And Pontus. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks, guys. And on and until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Pontus Buckman and Brian Ego. Hey Sam, hey Sam! Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm out of practice I to do. Oh, God. <laughs> I haven't done this for two weeks. I don't know how to do it anymore. <laughs> I hope we never have to change a fucking light bulb. You know, <laughs> really sad. You know, it's it's a verbal premature ejaculation. It's, <laughs> it's like, yes, finally I got in. <laughs> well, let's clean up this mess and give it another go. I've said that so many times. Let me life. get a tissue and we'll start over. <laughs> <clears throat> But we're going to have to wait a bit. <laughs> I'm your host, Andres. <laughs> come on, focus. Don't make yep. me come over there and hit you. <laughs> Don't talk about come after this. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Why you know, I, don't I don't want to over-egg the pudding here. <laughs> Over-ego the pudding. Over-ego the pudding. Oh, God. We have to finish this as soon as possible. Doom, 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 doom,